We're going to start the show today, though, talking a little bit more about back to school. Yeah, well, it seems everything's getting back to normal and uh, getting a little bit more control on stuff. So as long as she's still wearing her PPE in class and everything's under control at school, she's pretty excited to get back, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to be the oldest grade in class. So <laughs> excited about that. I'm excited to make new friends and learn yeah. new stuff. Yeah, uh, well, they had it kind of under wraps last year. I think they got it sort of under control, I guess. Now it's a little easier going back this year. We had lots of practice last year, so yeah. hopefully. I don't know. I wish she was vaccinated, but she's too young still, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Let's hope for the best, I guess. All right, just some of the voices of parents and students outside a Metro Vancouver school earlier today. Let's bring in Rani Sangara, who is the PAC president at Cambridge Elementary. Rani, great to have you back on the program. Thank you for having me, Jill. How is the day going as far as uh, what are you hearing today? Yeah, um, we're hearing parents are very excited. Uh, Kids are excited to be back to school and be with their friends and try to make it a normal year. Um, We're also hearing from some parents, of course, that uh, they are nervous uh, because of the Delta variant. And as much as we're hoping that this is normal, um, it still isn't. And, um, but we're also like with Cambridge, they're doing an amazing job. They've put in uh, their own kind of restrictions of what's allowed and what's not allowed, which is um, a little bit, um, it helps a little bit with the anxiety. That makes sense. And and I guess, too, there'll be different levels of anxiety and people waiting for things like that one parent there said, we kind of kind of wait and see, see how things unfold. Uh, there's been some concern or some concerns raised about the number of measures that are in place, saying they're actually not as many as were in place last year. Do you have any concerns or is that, do you think, is that an issue? Yeah, I mean, uh, being on the Surrey uh, District Parent Advisory Council as well, we've been hearing a lot from different parents from different schools, that they were hoping that the mask mandate was from kindergarten to grade 12. Um, and they were hoping that um, because they're, it's the elementary kids under 12 that are unvaccinated. So I think that some parents are worried about that as well. And um, But we're hoping that uh, parents will send their kids to school with masks, regardless of, of their age just because it is an extra protection. And yeah, and I think, you know, some parents are still concerned about the, the air quality in the schools. And, um, but, you know, we've been just kind of saying to parents that, you know, advocate for your child, talk to your, your child's school and see what they've got in place, see what kind of air quality um, they, they have or what kind of um, filters that they're using. And I think, you know, we all agree as parents that the school is the best place for children and not just for their education, but for their mental well-being and for socializing. So I think, you know, um, I think most parents are going to take it day to day and and hope for the best. And uh, and hopefully we won't have a lot of cases in schools. And I think uh, many parents would agree with that for sure. One of the students, I didn't play uh, her comments there, but one of the students that that spoke with Global News earlier today as well said that she was looking forward to getting back, seeing her friends and not having to work in cohorts. So glad that cohorts weren't going to be part of the school year. Uh, Do you think that's important too? And like you said, we can all agree that, that schools are the best places that students need to be in schools for all of those reasons. But is it also perhaps a good thing as well that it is going to look more like a normal school year, at least to begin with? Yeah, I think that the anxiety that parents and kids go through when we have all these extra things that kids have to worry about, um, 
you know, the mental health is really important with kids. And, and, and we think the teachers are doing their best to keep that distance between uh, children as much as they can. And I think that, you know, we're into this now a year and a half, and most parents are doing a great job with talking to their kids about what is acceptable and and what to expect when in school and how to wear their masks and how to wash their hands and use their hand sanitizer. So, you know what, parents have really stepped up, and I think teachers are doing a great job of helping that in school as well. And and I'm guessing it's kind of a take uh, take it one day at a time, a wait and see type approach, like you said, uh, with hopes that so we don't see the Delta variant taking off or, or, or big cases of exposure. What do you say to one of the concerns that was brought up yesterday, and I think this was brought up by the BC Teachers Federation as well, was the notifications or concerns that notifications won't be as widespread as they have been in the past? Yeah, I think uh, most parents do agree that they would like more transparency and transparency meaning they would like to know if there's an exposure in their child's class Um, because it just gives us more power to make the decision that we might need to make for our own families because every family is different. And especially in Surrey, we live in such multi-generation kind of housing that where we've got grandparents and we have parents and then we have younger children. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, if the government or if the district and Fraser Health were a little bit more uh, transparent and, and gave us that information of where the exposure was and when it was, I think that just gives parents that extra little power to make that decision whether they um, feel okay sending the child in for those couple of weeks. Which makes sense. Uh, anything else as far as uh, the first day of school? I know everybody's still kind of getting their footing and figuring out uh, where the classrooms are going to be, who's in each room. But anything else that, that, that you wanted to discuss or you wanted to address today? Yeah, like my, my kids are going back for the first time in a year and a half. And I think, you know, uh, as parents, we can just uh, try to teach our kids uh, just proper hygiene and the masks, how to wear them. And just really, um, you know, keep an outlook. And if, if your child is sick or doesn't feel well, uh, just to be on the safe side, keep them home. Um, we know that, you know, learning is important, but it's better to miss a day or two than to be missing weeks of school. And, you know, and good luck to all the parents and all, all the students out there that are heading back to school today. All right. Thanks so much for joining us on this first day of school and bringing us up to date. Appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jill. Have a nice day. Thanks for being with us. In about an hour from now, we will take you live to that news conference about the vaccine certificate. So stay tuned for that. Right now, though, we want to talk about another change. And this has to do with travel. The federal government has added fully vaccinated foreign nationals to the ranks of travelers who are once again welcome here on Canadian soil. And we heard earlier today from the CBSA Vice President Denis Denis Vignette on whether or not this will make things or things will look different at airports. Nothing really changes at the border other than a new cohort of travelers can seek to enter for discretionary and uh, pleasure. Let's bring in travel expert and president of Travel Best Bets, Claire Newell, to talk a bit more about this. Claire, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, anytime, Jill. Um, While I agree with that little clip that you played, that things will... uh, uh, you know, will basically be the same. So 
It is the same documentation that's now required. So it started with, of course, Canadians who were fully vaccinated, allowed to travel without that need to quarantine here in Canada. And then August 9th, we allowed U.S. Um, citizens and permanent residents to actually cross into Canada. Again, they needed the same thing. They needed proof of vaccination, um, a PCR test, and to be um, make sure that they had been vaccinated with one of the approved vaccines. So those are Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca. But now it's all foreign nationals. So I have to say that the airports, not quite the same. They're really busy. They are really busy. And so, um, and it's because, you, as you can imagine, there's a lot more for the border agents and the airlines to actually look at because the airlines are responsible for making sure people have everything that they need. So they make sure that you've got your PCR test or the test that's required where you happen to be traveling. Make sure you've got, um, you know, all of the things that you're going to need if you're returning back to Canada, including having all the information uploaded to the ArriveCan app. So it's quite cumbersome. Um, they're looking, uh, the, the border agents are looking at foreign nationals documentation that they haven't looked at before, although they are using the ArriveCan app for that. It's just, it means more more protocol, more people. So pack your patients, that's for sure. I'm recommending that people get to the airports domestically for uh, at least an hour and a half before their flights and for international, three plus mm. maybe, Jill. <laughs> Yeah, because th- that's the thing. You don't want to be stuck and realize, oh, one paper was off or or there was some confusion and you get delayed, right? That's right. And, you know, I, I've been hearing that the airports, as they have to ramp up their staff, as well as the airlines, um, you know, they're training a lot of new staff. The whole industry really was challenged. The travel and tourism industry from start to finish, airports, airlines, even hotels and, and restaurants that are really kind of dependent on tourists. It's been hard to get staff back because they were closed or, or virtually closed for 18 plus months. And so I think to start with, we'll see people flying to see friends and family so that they'll be um, that wave of people who haven't, you know, seen grandchildren being born or have missed um, friends and family, those will be the first to start to come here. And I think that's what uh, we've been noticing. But it is definitely, um, there has been a number of complaints. People are, are complaining about the long lines. They're complaining about lost luggage. They're complaining about wait times over the phones, um, flight schedules being changed or canceled. And it, it's, it is definitely um, a learning curve for everybody as we ramp up again to just start travel. Oh, yeah, indeed. I had a family member traveling back to Ontario last week. So before this change even came in, coming back and only coming back from the United States, but again, fully vaccinated. And even he said when he got to Pearson, it was just chaos because there were people that you had to show the ArriveCan app to and then you'd go to the next person and show it again or you'd have to, you said you had to show it so many times and all because of that learning curve and just trying to figure out exactly like you said to streamline a process that is still pretty new to people. It is. And, and what's really upsetting is that I actually have to tell people and remind them, please be patient and please be respectful of the airline staff, the, the ground crew, other travelers, because 
there are these long lineups and there's all this protocol that you have to go through and added expense. I mean, I myself am, are, am traveling for the first time on Thursday. I have not traveled internationally. It's my first trip since February of 2020. And I am nervous. It's a, it is a big undertaking. I have to have an antigen test and I'm going on a commercial <laughs> flight and I'm, you know, and I'm only going to Arizona to visit my daughter who's just started university down there. And it's, it's a bit more daunting than it, than it's been. I, I've been telling everyone that I'm going to be um, basically start to finish documenting it all on Instagram stories because I think people want to know what the test is like and how much it costs and what the airports are like. So I'm going to show everyone. Oh, great. Yeah, I think there's a, a ton of interest exactly as people get back doing that. Uh, we yeah. are still seeing exposures on on airplanes and, and mu- must point out that doesn't mean transmission. It just means potential exposures. So are you hearing from people or are there concerns that we are still seeing that? It's not what I'm hearing from travelers, but I myself, Jill, you know that I'm a a bit of a germaphobe (laughs) on board aircraft. We've been talking about this for decades while I've been doing this, but um, I am choosing to fly with an N95 mask. I'll be wearing that from start to finish. I will be taking extra hand sanitizer, sanitizing wipes, and for those who happen to be on my flight, you'll be seeing me just wiping everything down and using that hand sanitizer all the time. I think it's um, in the back of everybody's mind, especially with the wave of uh, the Delta variant and the increases. So we've seen uh, working in, you know, in a travel agency, the number of people looking to travel has kind of creeped off a little bit. There was a real surge as soon as all of the mandatory hotel quarantine dropped and restrictions eased for a vaccinated traveler so they could come back to Canada without having to do that 14-day quarantine there was certainly a lot of people who wanted to take advantage of that and visit people, uh, mainly friends and families. There were people who wanted to take, you know, trips that um, long overdue vacations and that type of thing, but the vast majority visiting friends and family. And now we started to see it taper off, but there are certainly uh, people looking to travel, doing what I'm doing, you know, going to maybe see someone specific. Um, there are people putting vacations on the books, but mainly for like November 1st on. And um, I would suggest, though, to anybody, two things. Make sure that you book a trip that is completely flexible. If we've learned anything at all through this pandemic, it's that if things can change quickly and if you need to change or cancel, you want to be able to get your money back and not be left holding the bag. The other thing is make sure you have COVID insurance in whatever type of insurance you buy. And the reason I say that is because if you get COVID while you're away, like if I get it when I'm in Arizona, mm-hmm. it's added cost. I can't get back on a plane right. for 14, well, 10 days, at least until I test negative. And so that's added expense for me. Luckily, I'm you know going to be staying with my daughter, but it's always in the back of people's minds. So make sure flexibility and insurance are two key things. Do you think then we're going to see a big increase now that we've opened up the the quarantine rules or opened up travel for people uh, from anywhere as long as they're fully vaccinated? Do you think we're going to see a return of European visitors or, or visitors from other countries as we head into the uh, the fall, winter, spring, summer? So. I do, and I think it'll be for people who were coming to Canada to visit friends and family. There will be some tourists. We saw even, um, I read a report today that the, the huge influx of U.S. travelers to Canada has slowed. And you can imagine a lot of people living in the U.S. wanting to see family here in Canada that they couldn't um, did that. But And that's by land border. But I, I do think that Canada as a destination is it kind of quiets off between November and say April just because of the the weather people go elsewhere um 
you know, but I, I, I think we will start, certainly start to see it, but it will be gradual. I think it was very strategic when the, the Canadian government decided uh, to, to open up. And what is your advice again? I know uh, you're going to be traveling and I'm looking forward to you documenting it. But for people who are getting back into it, like you said, giving yourself more time at the airport, making sure you've got all the paperwork done. uh, Is it pretty easy as far as if somebody, well, when you have to get that test within the 72 hours before you get on the plane? You know, when the test that I'm having having to get because I'm going to the U.S. is an antigen test. And so I could get that actually done right at the airport if I wanted to get up early and, and have it done. You just give yourself at least an extra hour because the results come back between 10 and 20 minutes. I'm choosing to do it after work on Wednesday before my flight leaves on Thursday. But you could do that up to 72 hours prior. Um, but it was a lot more planning. You know, I needed to find a location that didn't antigen test close to where I live. And then I had to book a PCR test for my return flight. I'm only there for five days. So I had to go on. For me, I booked it through CVS. It was 129 US dollars. So it was an added expense, added research, because I wanted to find somewhere that was close. It happens to be two miles away from where I'll be. But a lot, a lot more steps. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to fully use the Arrive Can app, but I will explain the whole process once I've done it myself. My husband's been going back and forth to the U.S. for work and said it's very intuitive. But if you've never done it before, you're not really used to smartphones. If you're a little older, for example, um, it, it's a bit tricky. And so I, I do want to walk through that myself. It actually stops you. Like I've created an account, but it stops you because you can only do it just a certain number of hours before you cross into Canada. And then they give you a number at the border to enter. Hmm. All right. Well, it does seem like people are getting a bit more comfortable with this and we're seeing these restrictions eased or, or at least for people that are vaccinated and, and are able to show that they have the safety plan. So uh, do you anticipate, will we see more easing in, in, in the near future? I'm not sure we will, Jill. Mm-hmm. I think what we've got will stick for a little while. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, I've been very, very cautious. I'm a bit of a nervous Nelly. And so, you know, traveling now, I think, is the right time. First of all, because I feel like I, of course, I want to see my daughter. But the the other important piece of this puzzle is to show the process from start to finish for people. I mean, this is what I do. And so people can follow along if they want to at, at Travel Best Bets. Uh, that's the Instagram account if you if you're interested. <laughs> All right. I think a lot of people absolutely will be. Claire, we'll leave it there for today, but thanks so much and looking forward to your travel updates. Oh, thanks, Jill. All right. We are going to take a little break from talking about COVID-19, from talking about vaccine passports and the vaccine certificate. We will resume that conversation at 2 p.m. and take you live to today's news conference on that. But right now, a bit of a follow up. If you were listening on Friday, you know we were talking with one of the senior editors of the three day novel contest. It is exactly what it sounds like. It was started by a small group of writers in Vancouver about 44 years ago. Well, writers were feverishly putting those words down. The contest finished up yesterday. So we thought it would be fun to talk to one of the participants about what the experience was like. Lauren McMenemy is on the line with us now, one of the participants in the contest. And she's actually joining us from London in the UK. Lauren, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, Jill, thank you for having me. Uh, so how, was this your first time or have you participated in the contest before? 
I have actually done it before. Um, I've done it maybe four or five times in various years, not in a row. Um, but I did uh, convince quite a few of my uh, colleagues in the London Writers Salon to join me. So I was shepherding some uh, some newbies this time around. <laughs> nice. So what is your strategy? I know you were tweeting a little bit while you were writing throughout the weekend. What is your strategy to get that book written in three days? Uh, the strategy is to just accept that you're going to go a little bit crazy um, and that you're not going to get much sleep and you're going to be eating terribly and drinking lots of coffee. Um, but really, I think that um, my strategy was just see what happens. Like I didn't put any real pressure on it. I knew I wanted to try and write a complete story when I've done it in the past. I've always sort of struggled to get the word count down. Um, but uh, but this time I had an idea and I just ran with it. I didn't really do much planning. Uh, the, the, the night before, I did a little bit of a bullet point on, well, this could happen, could lead to this, could lead to this. And I think that was actually really freeing because you do find that as you're writing in such a huge, crazy uh, frenzy that things just happen that you're not expecting. And so even the best laid plans can go awry and you just have to see where the story wants to take you. I guess so. Did you take time off then? You must have taken time for meals, for sleeping. How much time did you did you manage to get in for that? I did. I'm not, uh, I'm not crazy enough to do 72 hours straight with no sleep. So I was taking um, some sleep and meal breaks. I actually, um, I've learned a lot about my process as a writer and I discovered that actually I can't write during the day. I, I think it was on Saturday, no, Sunday, the second day, I got 48 words written all day and then it hit 9 p.m. And between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m., I wrote 6,000 words. Hmm. And so I decided to just lean into that. I let myself sleep in. I let myself have a lunch break. I was having a little nap in the afternoon as well to make sure I had my second win for the night push. Um, but, you know, the people I was writing in community with, we were all in a Zoom room, people from all over the world, writing together silently. And some of them were getting up at four in the morning and writing. And some of them were with me really late at night. Some of them pushed right through and had about two hours sleep. So, yeah, I think, you know, you kind of figure out quite early on in the process what your rhythm is going to be and you just run with it to the extreme. And you mentioned that you had some newbies that you brought on to, to take part in the contest as well. So were you guiding them or offering advice to them at the same time? I was a little bit, yeah. Um, so we had uh, um, someone else was sort of, we made it a bit of an event in this writing community that we're in. Um, and we had this Zoom room. And so someone was actually leading it in terms of playing music every now and then, sharing words of wisdom, inspirational quotes to keep us going, having little check-ins. Um, and when we were having you know, got stuck on the story or when we wanted to check if something was in the rules or not in the rules, we would stop and we'd have a little chat. So in that sense, I was sharing my experience of doing it previously. But this was definitely the most amazing, fun experience I've ever had with Three Day Novel. I'm, I'm usually sitting in my room alone, feeling sorry for myself, thinking I can never do this. Why do I do this to myself? This is ridiculous. Um, but this time, it actually seemed to work. So I think, you know, maybe maybe fourth time's a charm. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. What is it about the contest? Is it that the, you were drawn to the, the deadline or you wanted it to kind of inspire you to get that book written that, that you decided to do that rather than, say, give yourself, I don't know, six months or, or a year to write a book? 
I am actually writing another book as well. I, I've taken a sabbatical from work and I, you know, I did that with the idea of I'm going to get this novel that's been in me for 20 years done. Um, and that hasn't really happened. And so this year I used the three-day novel as I thought this will be a creative catalyst for me. It'll get me back into that creative rhythm. But I think what really attracts me to the three-day novel and why I keep coming back to it is, you know, my day job is actually in journalism. And I started my working life straight out of uni. I was working on a daily newspaper. And so the way I learned to write was under really tough deadlines really, really quickly. Um, and so when I discovered the three-day novel, I thought, well, I'll give that a go because, you know, I want to try and get back into my fiction writing. This was the, the childhood dream and all of that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of what attracted me to it is that it was that crazy deadline. And also it's a, it's a curiosity. I think all, all writers have a curiosity about their process and their practice. And it's one of the first things we always talk to each other about is, yes, what is your, how do you write? How are you working on your work? Um, and I think that, you know, just seeing what happens under extreme pressure is really, really interesting to learn about yourself as a writer. Yeah, like you said, or, and, and like you learned about yourself too, that the night writing was the, the much better option. Mm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I was listening to dark German vampire techno at two in the morning and <laughs> writing a horror book. It was great. Ooh, fun. Uh, did you finish the manuscript? I did. I did. And I actually finished a bit early. Normally, the, the last few times I've done it, it's been right to the wire, right at midnight. I've, I think last year, I wrote the last sentence at 11.59pm. Hmm. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to read over it or edit or anything. This year, I actually finished the story um, in the afternoon of the last day, put it away, printed it out, and then I read over it. And, um, and I, I, you know, I'm really glad I had that time because I identified gaps that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. And so I went back on that last day and added in bits and finessed bits. So I feel like I've given it a really good shot this year. I'm absolutely not expecting anything to come of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not expecting the long list, let alone winning. Um, but it is, I, I just love the fact that I have now pushed out a novella that I can continue to work on. And I know that they're, are a lot of small presses out there like Anvil who are looking for novellas right now. And so this could be, you know, my, my way into getting my name on a book spine somewhere. Oh, well, that's a, a great, great goal. One other question. How did you feel when you press send or when you, when you sent it in and that was it? You were done. It, there was no more editing. There was nothing more you could do. It was in the hands of the editors. And scared. Very, very scared. And, of course, the minute you press send that's it you immediately think of all the things you should have done um but i think you know there's there's not much i could do about it now and and i think my you know my day job in journalism has made me very pragmatic once you've sent it off to an editor or to a you know wherever you've got to submit it it's out of your hands and so you just have to try and calm down uh and so our, our london writer salon community have been really um helping each other out we've got a slack group and and today we've been messaging each other going oh my god i've just read this bit and i wish i'd done that and i wish i'd done that so we're helping each other to just be really pragmatic about it and say you can continue to work on it you, you know there's no rule against that but you know you can't submit it anywhere until you find out whether you've made the long list so i think there's a lot of us that are going to keep going with our stories all right sounds great lauren thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this today i really appreciate it no worries at all. Thanks for asking.